Who can tell me who Daniel was in the Bible? Who was Daniel? Okay, right back there. Okay. Yeah, Dan Daniel was a young guy. Uh, as, as a young man, he, his country fell to uh, a neighboring country. No, neighboring country conquered Israel, uh, the nation of Babylon. Uh, and Babylon today would be what? Iraq. Okay. And so um, um, Babylon conquered Israel, and they, they came over, and they took some of the brightest in Israel and took them back to Babylon to... Um, trained them in the ways of Babylon. And Daniel was one of these young men. And so early in Daniel's life, um, the king of Babylon wanted these young Israeli guys to uh, eat the king's diet, eat at the king's table. And these young Israeli guys said, no, we don't eat that stuff. And so they, there was kind of a contest and, uh, uh, and the young Hebrew guys didn't eat the king's food and, and drink the king's drink. And yet, they were healthier than, the, than those who did. Well, this, this story today takes place in Daniel chapter 6. So turn your Bibles, if you have a Bible, to Daniel uh, chapter 6. Turn on your iPhone to Daniel chapter 6 with me. Um, <clears throat> by this time, Daniel is not a young man. He's an old man. And that's the picture that, that uh, a lot of times we don't get. Um, Daniel may be 70 or 80 years old by now. And so he's lived a long life. He has, he has risen to a position of prominence in this foreign country. One of the things I've, I've continued to uh, get questions about today as I've been around with, with you guys, it, it's kind of like how do you take what we're learning in college and take that out into the real world? How do I transition out into marriage and career and having a family and uh, uh, I'm going to move this. How do I do that? How, how do, you know, I'm, I'm kind of thinking it might work on the campus, but how do you make it work uh, out in a career? And I think Daniel is one of the best examples of that in the Bible. And uh, I think what we'll do is just, just to give us the lay of the land, let's read the whole chapter out loud. I'll read it. Daniel 6, you can follow along with me in your copy. But the king was named Darius. And so it, pre, it pleased Darius, Daniel chapter 6, it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps or governors to be over the whole kingdom and over them three presidents of whom Daniel was one. Okay? So the king says, you know what? The way I'm going to govern this country is I'm going to split it into 120 territories and then I'm going to have three guys that rule over those 120. And so Daniel, this guy from a foreign country, is, is one of three men that answer directly to the king. It's a pretty powerful position, right? Um, Daniel was one of them to whom these satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other presidents and satraps because of an excellent spirit, because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. 
Then the president and satraps, presidents and satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. So his political enemies thought, you know, we better find some way to make a complaint against this guy, but they couldn't find anything he was doing wrong. Verse 5, then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. I've gotten the question several times today. Okay, you've been involved in politics. You've been involved in business. How, how has it been living out your Christian faith out there in politics, in business? Has, kind of the, the implied question is, has it been a hindrance to you? Has it created a problem? And, and my answer is no, it hasn't. But let's see what it did for Daniel. I'm getting a little ring on this. Are you all hearing that? Any girls want a little ring? Okay. Uh, <laughs> then these presidents and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, Oh, King Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the, of the kingdom, the prefects and satraps, the counselors and governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Okay, what are they saying here? What, what did they say to the king? <coughs> Beg pardon? Only, people may only worship. Yeah. Hey, King, you are so great. And by the way, you know, anyone in political office, you don't have to tell them they're great. They think they are. Okay? <laughs> but they came to the king and said, oh, King, you're the best ever. And tell you what, you're so great. Why don't we, why don't you approve a law that says that for 30 days, no one can pray or make a petition to anyone, to any God or any person except to you. And so they're trying to set up Daniel. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. And so the king had the power to establish this ordinance according to the law of the Medes and the Persians. And if he did that, not even he could change it. And that's key to the story. Nine, verse 9, therefore, King Darius signed the document and the injunction. When, when Daniel, and here's the key to the whole story. When Daniel knew the document had been signed, what did he do? He went to his house where he had, op had his windows in the upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. So Daniel knew this law was in place and he didn't change what he was doing. And he knew that the law said that if he got caught doing it, he, could get, he would get thrown into the lion's den. And so what does he do? He just practices faith. He practices his faith openly. He I mean, he could have closed the windows, right? But he didn't. His normal practice is to pray three times a day with windows open toward Jerusalem. He kept doing what he'd been doing already. Verse 11, Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. And the king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him, 
to rescue him. Then the men came by agreement to the king and said, Know, O king, that is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you can serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, no sleep, and sleep fled from him. So the king spent a, a sleepless night after he had had Daniel cast into the, the lion's den. Then at break of day the king arose and went in haste to the, the den of lions, and as they as he came near the den of lions where Daniel was, he cried out in a, in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? And then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angels and shut the lions' mouths, and they've not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I've done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no harm, no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, who by then were quite hungry. Uh, and they, they and their wives and children, children and wives. So be careful who you marry, girls. Um, <laughs> and before they, before, before, before they hit the ground, I mean, before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them, broke all their bones into pieces. And King Darius wrote to all the peoples and nations and languages that dwell in all the earth. I mean, he wrote an international letter here, okay? Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions, so this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. How would you like it if you go out into the marketplace, you go out into the political world, you go out into the world of education, and you face a hard situation like this, and at the end, they say, you know, I believe in the God of Neil. You know, I believe in the God of Tyler. Where's Tyler? Where's Tyler? I saw him. He's here, you know. You know, I believe in the God of Jessica. That is not defamation for them to say, I believe in that person's God. If if the way that they, they, they've seen you live it is so powerful that they believe it because of you. And so as we're looking at how do, you take, <clears throat> how do you take your faith and not only live it out on campus, but how do you live it out for the rest of your life in the real world, whatever part of the real world you're, you're going to be in, how do you do that? Let's look at the life of Daniel because he did that. He did it in a foreign land. And, and you know what? I would say that today in America... We're in a foreign land as far as Christians are concerned. America is uh, increasingly antagonistic towards things Christian. Now, they're not persecuting us openly, you know. We're not being burned at the stake. But gee whiz, if, if you had put someone who died 40 years ago and put them in a time capsule and bring them to today, 
and they see that, oh, now the president of the state is endorsing same-sex, the president of the United States is endorsing same-sex marriages. They'd go, what? You know, time and time again, our nation is moving away from God. Now, quite frankly, I'm not hopeless. I, you know, we, we, we tend to think that whatever is is going to continue to be tomorrow, and whatever the trend is today will continue to be tomorrow. History does not bear that out. Nations turn away from God, and then they turn back to God. In America, we've had times when our nation turned away from God, and then we turned back to God, typically turning back to God in a time of suffering, which we may get the opportunity to do pretty soon, you know. So I, I'm not one of these hopeless people, but I am realistic enough to say that, that things are not trending our way right now in the public arena. Um, so let's look at the life of Daniel. And you have a handout there. Um, what are some lessons for, for our lives that we can learn from Daniel? First, Daniel 6, 1 through 3. Daniel was competent in his career. And he earned the respect of outsiders. You know, the king said, this guy who's an immigrant, he really was, he's an immigrant and I'm going to put him in the number two spot in the whole, whole nation. And by the way, this has nothing to do with my talk, but, but I believe that uh, our nation has had it wrong on immigration. And I believe that my party has had it wrong on immigration. And I believe that, uh, and I think we're coming around now. But if you look at Scripture, Scripture advises us to uh, take a position of kindness toward people that are a stranger in our land. And, um, and I believe that we need to do that. And um, I think our immigration policy is broken. And uh, so just a kind of a paid political announcement there. <laughs> I think we have a hope of fixing it right now. But let me ask you, who, in your opinion, are the, the most successful presidents of the United States, say, during the last uh, 50, 60 years? Who comes to mind? Ronald Reagan? Anyone else? FDR. FDR, a little longer than that, further back, but yeah, he was successful. Anyone else? Clinton, okay. Okay, see, whether, and, and we've mentioned two Democrats and one Republican there, okay? <clears throat> if we can't get a president from our party, we at least want one who's competent, right? <laughs> right? We expect our leaders to be competent. And, and the people that you deal with out in the marketplace will not care a thing about what you believe about Jesus Christ if you're not competent in what you do. If, if you're not competent in how you handle your job, I mean, you are, you're truthful, you're punctual, punctual you're, when, when a report's due, it's in and it's done well, uh, you handle your job well. <clears throat> That's kind of the price of admission to win people's respect. Um, you know, it's really interesting that, that, that as, as you mentioned, uh, successful presidents, there's people from both parties there. We are a nation of two parties, but, but by, once we elect someone, we want them to be successful. So um, we need competence. Colossians 3, 23 and 24 
says, whatever your task, work heartily as serving the Lord and not men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. And so <clears throat> when you're out there in a job, and I've got several questions today. Well, I don't know what I'm passionate about. I don't know what I ought to be doing. Well, I'd almost say just jump in anyway. You know, it, God's going to have a hard time steering a car that's not moving. Okay? Uh, and, and, and you're probably going to have more than one career. You know, I kind of grew up where you took a job at the phone company and you worked there 40 years and they gave you a gold watch and you retired. That's not today's world. You're probably going to have four different careers. And, uh, and, and it's probably not going to be the path that you lay out right now looking forward. It's probably going to be, there's probably going to be some surprises along the way. But how we handle ourselves in that job, how competent we are, will dictate whether or not people respect us. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, 4.12 says that we should uh, work with our hands so that we can command the respect of outsiders and be dependent on nobody. So the reason we work is for two reasons. One is to meet our needs. We've got to feed ourselves. We've got to pay our bills. But secondly, the way in which we do our work determines whether we command the respect of outsiders. <clears throat> for about the last 50 to 60 years, the most respected person in every poll of you know, Time Magazine's most respected person, whatever it is, Who's the most respected person in America parentally on all these polls? Billy Graham. Billy Graham. Okay. Do you know that Billy Graham, when he started rising to prominence, his, his music guy was a guy named Cliff Barrows. And Cliff Barrows was from Modesto, California. Not far from here. And in the late 1940s, <clears throat> Billy Graham, Cliff Barrows, and a couple of other guys that were close to them met at Cliff Barrow's father's farm near Modesto. And they discussed what is it that, you know, perennially evangelists kind of had a poor track record. I mean, you know, they, they, um, they didn't have a, a, a record of, of, uh, of credibility with the people because of failures in their lives. And so Billy Graham and Cliff Barrow's and the others determined that, that typically it was one of three areas that they failed in. It was either pride or is how they handled money or it was sexual sin, failures with women. And so they, they had in that field in Modesto, near Modesto, they, they, they agreed on the Modesto Manifesto, they called it. <clears throat> and they determined that they would help keep Billy humble and that Billy would always work for a salary. He would not work on commission, if I can put it that way. He worked for a salary. And that he would never be alone in the presence of a woman other than his wife from that moment forward. It's hard to get in trouble in sexual sin in groups. Now, some accomplish that, but <clears throat> very few honorable sober people do. Um, and so from that moment to this, Billy Graham has not been alone with a woman other than his wife. That's a pretty strong commitment, right? But we respect that. He's the most respected man in America. He's kind of fading from the scene today. He's 94 now. He's, his health is, is failing. And, 
I, I would say he's not as big a presence in your life as, as he has been in those of us in older generations, but he's respected. And as, as we look at moving out into the marketplace, we want to be competent in what we do because that's one way in which we earn the respect of outsiders. Daniel was competent. Uh, secondly, Daniel was predictable in his business and personal life. Verses 4 and 5 in Daniel 6 say, The other administrators began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling the government's governmental affairs, but they, could find, they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. He was predictable. And he was so predictable that they said, The only way that we're going to find this guy doing anything wrong is if it's something to do with the way he practices his faith. It's, you know, the way he deals with his God. He was so predictable in the practice, practice of his faith that his enemies thought, we'll use that to trip him up. Because we know he's not going to change that. Totally predictable. <clears throat> you know, I, I, think, um, I think there are stages of life. And right now, you're in the stage of life where you're, you're laying a foundation. And so in your college years and in your 20s, uh, you're laying a foundation for what your life is going to be. And typically in our 30s, we start building on the foundation and we begin to um, <clears throat> achieve more prominence or visibility in our career or our, our uh, uh, business or whatever our career is. And then in our 40s and 50s, we get to the point where we're in leadership positions. We're, we're very prominent. And a lot of times we'll see people <clears throat> in their late 30s and in their 40s and 50s just collapse. We'll see their lives cave in. Um, and the reason for that is because <clears throat> the foundation that they've laid will not support the superstructure they put on top of it. Does that make sense? See, if, if you're going to build a skyscraper, what's the first thing you do? A little louder. You dig a big hole. If you're going to build a skyscraper, you dig a big hole. Because <clears throat> it's got, <clears throat> sorry, it takes a tremendous foundation to support that superstructure. And that's the way it is in our lives. If I can put it this way, some people lead one-story lives. And they don't need tremendous foundations. They better have a good one or they'll get cracks anyway. Other people lead lives that go two stories, six stories, and some lead 70-story lives. But if you, <clears throat> if you get to where you're leading a 70-story life and you've got a 20-story foundation under it, you're in trouble. And cracks start appearing. Well, Daniel, here, here's my rescue squad right here. Thank you. Uh, Daniel laid such a strong foundation, even being a young man living in a foreign land. He laid such a strong foundation that his enemies knew they'd find nothing wrong with him. They'd find nothing, no way in which they could fault him. But basically, it's just, it's, it's a rule of, uh, of construction architecture. architecture. Your, found, your, your structure can rise no higher than your foundation will support. Well, what does that mean to us? That means at this stage of life, if, if I'm you, I want to build a strong foundation in my walk with God. You're in the foundation-laying stage of life. And 
I wouldn't worry a heck of a lot about what God does with that. I'd worry about the integrity of the foundation I'm laying. What does that mean? <clears throat> that means build the disciplines into your life. That means get in the habit of having a daily devotional life. You will not survive without it spiritually. Make it your practice to memorize Scripture. Psalm 119, 9 and 11 says, um, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to thy word. I've laid up thy word in my heart that I might not sin against thee. When I was, <clears throat> when I was 20 years old, I, I came to Christ and I started memorizing Scripture. And uh, that summer I went to Europe and Gene War was my father's best friend and a mentor to me. And he comes to me and he says, um, uh, you know, there's a bunch of wild women over in Europe. And I said, yeah, I've heard about that. Um, he said, what are you going to do about that? I said, I'll tell you what, Gene, I, I'll memorize a verse a day on that trip. And I got 10 days into the trip and I got my first telegram from Gene. And it said, Kirk, sin will keep you from God's word or God's word will keep you from sin, Gene. And I thought, oh my gosh, I'm 10 days into it. I got one verse memorized and he's going to check me up. And, uh, and so I started working on it. I got home. He was at the airport, at the gate. This is back when you go to the gate. <clears throat> he was at the gate. And he didn't say, welcome home. You've been gone a month and a half. He said, give me your verse pack. <laughs> and I, <clears throat> I gave him my verse pack. And he took me through about 20 of them. And he goes, I believe the boy has them, you know. The point is, <clears throat> if, if you memorize a verse today, it'll do you good for the rest of your life. But I would venture to say, if you don't get in the practice of memorizing Scripture when you're young, you probably will not do it when you're older. It, you know, we, we talked on finances today. Whatever pattern you set when you're young in college <clears throat> will be the pattern you follow when you get married, and it'll be the pattern you follow when you get older, unless you go through a dramatic change, it's very difficult. So it's true in every area of our life. So you're in the foundation laying stage of life. You need to build a strong foundation in your own walk with God. You need to build a strong foundation in your relationship with your, your partner in life. Now you may say, well, I don't have that partner yet. Well, then prepare to be the kind of person you need to be. But when you get married, that first 10 years or so, you need to be building a strong foundation in that marriage. Uh, Dana had some questions at dinner about what it was like to be married to the mayor. Well, she was a great wife for the mayor. But the reason she was was because it was not a great change in our life for, us, for her to take on that role and for me to take on the role that I took on. We were prepared for it because we'd laid the foundation years before. Years ago, I heard Chuck Colson speak. I don't know if... The students, how many have heard of Chuck Colson? <clears throat> Most of you have not. It, I'll tell you what. Um, his, his autobiography is a book called Born Again. Chuck Colson, you ought to read it. Chuck Colson was Richard Nixon's White House legal counsel. No great honor. Um, <clears throat> went to prison for crimes committed in the course of Watergate in the White House became a Christian right before he went into prison 
And uh, when he came out of prison, he started a ministry called Prison Fellowship. Now, he, he's gone to be with the Lord now. But Prison Fellowship still ministers all around the world. But uh, one of the great thinkers of, of the last 50 years or so, one of the great Christian thinkers is Chuck Colson. So anything you can find that he wrote, I encourage you to read it. One time I was at a meeting and someone said, Mr. Colson, do you think we need more Christians in public office? And you would expect him to say yes. And he said, no, I don't. I think we need, he said, I think we need more people in public office who behave Christianly. We need more people in public office, not just that profess to be Christians, but that live it, is what he was saying. So Daniel was, Daniel was predictable. He lived it. He lived it so well that even his enemies said, boy, we won't find him messing up, so we, we better pick on his faith. <clears throat> um, I've had um, several mentors in life. I mentioned Gene War. He was one of them. Um, another was one of my dad's business partners, a guy named Ford Madison. And uh, when I got elected mayor, he called me up. His father had been mayor of Amarillo, Texas when Ford was growing up. And he said, hey, congratulations on winning. And he said, uh, um, he said, you know, you'll enjoy it. Uh, make the most of it. He said, but don't get used to it. He said, because I watched my dad when he, when he was mayor and then he, when he left office. <clears throat> and when you leave office, all that attention that they're giving you because you're mayor will go to whoever is mayor at that time. It'll go to the next guy. Um, they're, they're, they're not showing honor to you. They're showing honor to the office. And so don't get used to it. And boy, he was right. Because, you know, when you're, when, you're, when you're mayor or when you're running a company, when you're in a very visible position, you're busy, your phone's ringing, people are trying to see you. Um, and then when you leave that position, the phone quits ringing and people quit calling. And if your sense of well-being depends on all that stuff, then you're in big trouble because you, you won't even know who you are. Um, so he said, don't get used to it. So in life, basically, our life needs to be predictable and our, our walk needs to match our talk. I'll tell you, we've had a long day, and uh, so why don't we stand up and stretch? We've got about 15, 20 minutes left. Let's stand up and stretch for a minute. <coughs> Okay, have a seat. That feels better, doesn't it? Okay, Daniel was competent. He was predictable. And third, he was visible in the practice, practice of his faith. As I mentioned, when he knew the law had been signed, the first thing he does, he goes home, opens the windows, and prays toward Jerusalem. He was visible in the practice of his faith. Uh, when I was running for mayor, I, I did an interview with uh, our local um, weekly newspaper, kind of the, the countercultural newspaper, um, not a very Christian newspaper. And, and they, said, they said to me, they said, you know, you're outspoken in your Christian faith, and how do you see the role of your personal faith if you're in the mayor's office? And I told them, I said, you know, I'm the same person on Monday that I am on Sunday. 
And so I don't change. I don't leave my faith behind when I walk out of church. It's a part of who I am, and I take it with me everywhere I go. And it informs all I do. But it's not my job as mayor to impose my faith on other people. It's my job to live my faith. And they bought that answer, endorsed me for the office. People don't mind it if you live out your faith in front of them as long as you are consistent. They really mind it a whole lot if you say one thing and do something else. But uh, Daniel was visible. 1 Peter 3.15 says, Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who calls you to account for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and reverence. And I, and I think the key to us, for us, is be visible and living out our faith, but do it with gentleness and reverence. Do it in a respectful way. Uh, you know, it's not our job to win people to Christ. It's our job to be salt and light. It's God's job to win people to Christ. And uh, nobody ever came to Christ because they lost the argument. So uh, just be visible in it. If, if you're comfortable in living it out, other people are probably going to be comfortable in watching you do that. He was visible in the practice of his faith. And then fourth, his faith was unshakable regardless of the circumstances. Verse 21 22 in Daniel 6, um, Daniel said, God sent his angels, angels to shut the lion's mouth so they wouldn't hurt me because I've been found innocent in his sight and in yours, king. And so Daniel, even when he knew he was going to be thrown into the lion's den, he just figured God would take care of it. He didn't flinch when he faced the lion's den. How's that apply to you and me? We better know what we believe and what we stand on before we get there because once we get there, it's too late to figure it out. Um, we need to know how we decide whether things are right or wrong. You know, <clears throat> uh, the Bible is a, is a practical instruction book on life and it, it tells us a whole lot of things to do. When I got elected mayor, the fellow that I ran against, the fellow that I was in a runoff with, was a city councilman. And he'd been in a, an influential position, uh, head of one of the city trusts. And he loved that appointment, and it was my call on whether to put him back in that appointment. And my first inclination was I told the secretary, well, I said, well, I know who's not going to get that appointment, Mr. Liebman. And uh, that week, weekend, I went to church, and my pastor preached out of Genesis 50 about Joseph and his brothers, and the title was, How to Win Out Over the Will to Get Even. And, and it basically said, you know, when someone does you wrong, and this fellow had done me wrong, he'd run radio ads accusing me of being a crook, um, which, by the way, were not accurate. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, uh, um, when someone does us wrong, the lesson of Scripture is instead of getting back at them, do something good to them. Do something to bless them. And so I go in the next day and I tell the secretary, I said, uh, put Councilman Liebman on that water trust. And she goes, really? I said, yeah. And I told her why. A few days later, I'm walking into City Hall and Councilman Liebman's walking in from the parking lot next to me. And sheepishly, he comes over. We've never, we didn't know each other before we ran against each other. We've never spoken a civil word to each other. He comes over and he says, uh, hey, thanks for that appointment. And I said, oh, sure, glad to do it. I knew it was important to you and you'll do a great job. 
He went from being my enemy to being my closest political ally in City Hall because of that one act. So it really works. But, <clears throat> but we have to know, before we get there, we have to know, am, am I getting my instruction from the Bible? If I'm getting my instruction from the Bible, then whatever it says, I, I, I act on that. I took that action not because I was enamored with it. I, I thought that's what the Bible taught to do in that situation. So Daniel was unshakable. Uh, things don't always go well. Um, they didn't always go well for Daniel. I mean, you know, getting thrown in the lion's den is not real good. Uh, after I left the mayor's office, I ran for United States Senate, lost, and, and lost pretty big. And uh, uh, I told this, I think I told it in the financial workshop. If I've told it to all of you, I'll tell it again. But anyway. I pull up to this watch party that night and my campaign manager comes out and he looks like he's had a death in the family and, and he, uh, he says, well, I said, how's it going, Josh? He goes, not well. We're down 25 points and we're losing Oklahoma County, my home county. I said, let's go have a party. You know, uh, we can't be all down in the mouth when things don't go our way. It, if God's in control when we win, he's in control when we lose. And uh, uh, after that, uh, one of the young men who worked on the campaign, he came up to my son about three weeks later and he said, how are you doing? And Blair goes, oh, we're doing fine. No, I mean, really, how are you doing? We're fine. You know, if, if your life does not depend on winning elections, then... That's not the barometer for whether you feel good or not. And uh, uh, so our, our, our sense of well-being needs to depend on something other than the latest business deal or the latest election or whether we got the raise or got the job. Finally, Daniel, the message of Daniel's life was believable. Verses 26 and 27, the king says, I'm going to decree make a decree throughout the whole kingdom that everyone should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel. And so the king says, I'll tell you what, I've seen Daniel live his faith. I've seen Daniel in the lion's den live his faith. And so I'm going to believe in Daniel's God because of Daniel. You know, if um, <clears throat> when we're trying to influence people, if, if we're trying to get someone to believe in a reality, in a God, in the truth of Scripture, in Jesus Christ, that's totally different than they've ever believed in their life. They probably are not going to believe that apart from seeing it be real in your life. And, and I really think it's with, with your, uh, the, uh, the picture of your life before them is, is basically the price of admission to be, even be able to tell them the story. <coughs> Just think, think of who has influenced you. Um, how many of y'all came to Christ because of a television or radio preacher? How many came to Christ because of some person influenced you? Yeah. Yeah. Now, I'm not against television and radio preachers, and I'm not against mass evangelism. I'm not against cold turkey evangelism. All those things have their place. But the truth is, most of us come to Christ because somebody that 
that we know loves us and someone that we respect presents Christ to us in a way we'd never seen before and it's a way that is attractive to us and we, over time, we come to the place of trusting Christ as our own Savior. But it's, it's life on life and it was life on life for Daniel and it can be life on life for us. Uh, you know, it, it's that way in politics. I, I, uh, I'm convinced that most people in politics, the, the, the voters, I call him old Joe out there on his couch, is not even aware that there's an election until about 10 days out. And so we're out there working for a year, beating our brains out. He's, he's oblivious. He's clueless to it until about 10 days out. And then he comes home at night and he pops a beer open. He's sitting on his couch and TV ads come on. And do you know what old Joe is thinking? He's thinking, do I believe that person? I mean, the guy in the ad. Either he believes you or he doesn't. If he believes you, he's going to vote it for you. And if he doesn't, he's not. And the old Joes that you and I are trying to influence out in our world are like that. They're really looking at us and saying, do I believe that person? Are they real? Does their, does their walk match their talk? Uh, am I willing to trust this person? Daniel was believable. Um, I had a guy, and I, I've told this to some of you at a table today, but back when I was in the wholesale business, a real estate guy came to see me on a, on a deal we were working on, and just I, I said, hey, Jerry, how you doing? And he dissolved in tears. I mean, the, he, he's probably the most prominent real estate broker in our town, and I ask him how he's doing, and he dissolves in tears, and he says, you know, I just got back from a fishing trip to Alaska, and uh, I got home, and my wife told me she wants a divorce. And I'm working hard, and I'm making all this money, and I have no children to share it with, and I, now I don't have a wife to share it with. Why would he uh, be that vulnerable to me? I mean, he wouldn't do that with everybody. Uh, and I think he did that because he trusted me. He knew I cared about him. And he, he saw something in me that believed he could share that. People don't talk like that all the time in business world, I tell you. <clears throat> Several years later, I invited Jerry on an evangelistic ski trip, and we took some guys. They were either guys that they weren't believers or a guy like him, we didn't know where he was for sure. Uh, or maybe a Christian who'd kind of wandered away. And we took him on this ski trip, and, uh, and we shared the same room. And one night, one night he, he said, you know, I get what you're saying about Jesus. I'm just not willing to turn loose of some things. Well, there's a lot of people that way. And they may get it, but they just some things they don't want to turn loose of. He went on, he... He got remarried and uh, married a wonderful gal that knows the Lord and loves the Lord. And I've never had that discussion again with Jerry. Judging from some of the things he said in recent years, I think he knows the Lord now. Um, but uh, the point is, we've got to live our lives before people where they feel comfortable talking about those things and considering those things. And they think our life is consistent enough that they're willing even to be open to us and, and vulnerable in that way. Uh, well, Daniel was competent. He was predictable. He was visible. He was unshakable. 
He was believable. Let me encourage you, don't surrender the public arena to uh, the world. Get involved. You know, get involved in your neighborhood when you're out. Get out of school. Get involved in your neighborhood. Get involved in your community. Um, run for school board. Run for city council. If you have a chance, run for mayor or congressman. Uh, we have a congressman in Oklahoma right now who, uh, until two years ago, a little over two years, well, three years ago, ran a camp like this in Oklahoma, a, 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 a Baptist assembly ground. <clears throat> and he came to me, he said, I want to run for Congress. I feel called to run for Congress. And I said, why on earth would you do that? It's a terrible job. And he, 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 he had no chance to win, and he won, named James Lankford. And, and he is now the number five ranking Republican as far as leadership position in the United States Congress. And, and three years ago, he was running a church camp. God called him to do it. Uh, you know, I, I promise you, the Chamber of Commerce had no idea he existed when, when he... Uh, <clears throat> but don't surrender the public arena to those who don't share our worldview. And then get out of the four walls of the church. I probably don't need to say that to you guys. You're probably outside the four walls anyway. But uh, <clears throat> don't get hemmed into the four walls once you get out of school. Uh, uh, you know, live out your faith out in the marketplace. It, cultivate intentional relationships with people that don't know Christ. I mean, uh, invite them to dinner. Uh, share hobbies with them. Uh, be intentional about it. Don't, don't, don't spend all your time running with the wrong crowd. I mean, the Christian crowd, see? Uh, <clears throat> keep reaching out intentionally to people that... Uh, uh, that don't know Christ, and, and then get involved and meet people on their own turf. None of, us, none of us are comfortable in an unfamiliar setting. And so, you know, the first thing you want to do, uh, the first thing you don't want to do is invite them to church because they're probably not going to feel comfortable doing that. But you can invite them to a cup of coffee. You can invite them to dinner. And then ultimately, that discussion might lead toward being involved in a Bible study. And, and gradually, they're going to move, take step by step toward knowing Jesus Christ. In our next session, we're going to talk about how you share your faith out in the marketplace. And we'll talk more about that. Have a good evening. Thank you.